Hello and welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, and it is our final broadcast before Christmas of 2020. And today we're going to be talking about a Marian apparition that you may not be too familiar with, as I was not until only recently. And if you've been following my work over the last, I don't know, 20 years, uh, you'll already be aware that I have long promoted devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, especially the daily family rosary and devotion to her under the title Our Lady of Good Success. And that is not the devotion that I'm going to be talking about today. But I do want to preface today's topics with some facts that I learned about Marian devotion because of my involvement with uh, promoting Our Lady of Good Success. And first, many Catholics, I think, are skeptical about devotions they're not familiar with, and that's understandable. Uh, I mean, there's no shortage of nonsense out there, for one thing, and and it is a, a good and Catholic response to want to confirm uh, that something's approved by the Church. So I'd like to take a step back and, and talk about the possibility of apparitions in the first place, and then about their approval. So in the case of the visionary connected with um, Our Lady of Good Success, servant of God, Mariana of Jesus, she was favored with many apparitions of Our Lord and Our Lady, starting in... Um, 1594, so in the late uh, 15 and early 1600s. And those apparitions were accompanied by messages and prophecies concerning the church and the world all the way up to our own day, uh, and many of which must have seemed just incredible at the time, but they have all now come to pass, with a singular exception. We're still awaiting the fulfillment of Our Lady's promise of a marvelous restoration in the church after the widespread breakdown of faith that started in the second half of the 20th century. Uh, faith and morals. But some Catholics, I think, living in our enlightened age, in our technological age, uh, shy away from such phenomena. I mean, I myself, coming into the church, I was very devoted to Our Lady without being attached to, to any particular private apparition. And I think some Catholics wonder if it's even reasonable for, you know, Catholics in the modern world uh, to even, you know, believe in such visions at all. And, and the answer, in a word, is yes. I mean, for one thing, it's a matter of faith uh, that all Christians desire to attain the beatific vision. You know, that is to see God face to face. But the, the unaided human intellect is incapable of that vision. Now, according to um, the late postulator for the cause of Mother Mariana, Monsignor Luis Cadena y Almeida, he said, just as it's possible to see God face to face in the next life, like we read about in Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, for example, it is also possible, he says, through sanctifying grace to contemplate the divine essence in this life as well. Here's what he says, quote, in his quest for sanctification and perfection, the earthly pilgrim can participate to some degree in the life of God through sanctifying grace. As he enters more deeply into this process, his soul becomes immersed in a supernatural environment. While practicing the virtues, especially faith and charity, to an extraordinary degree, it should not be difficult for him to come face to face with God at any moment of his life. So although supernatural visions can appear directly to the imagination or the intellect, like, um, uh, like the angel appearing to St. Joseph in a dream in Matthew's Gospel, the phenomena that we commonly call apparitions uh, are a matter of perceiving with the eyes what is normally invisible. So think of the angel Gabriel appearing to, to Mary or Zachary in Luke's gospel or um, Abraham's three visitors in Genesis 18 or um, the angel Raphael in the book of Tobit. 
So considering our Lord's sacred humanity and, of course, his glorified body, there's certainly nothing to prevent him uh, from showing himself in an apparition. And we know from Scripture that he appeared to his followers on several occasions after the resurrection. And so we might not be surprised then that the Blessed Virgin can do likewise if, uh, if God should so desire. She was, after all, assumed body and soul into heaven and therefore has a glorified body like our Lord and like all the faithful will have um, at one day, right? I mean, that's, that's part of the, the creed. So there's no reasonable impediment to the possibility of apparitions. And therefore, there shouldn't be any obstacle for ordinary Christians to believe that visions and apparitions may be granted, um, granted by God to chosen souls and through the action of grace. Now, the various apparitions, say, of, of Mary and Jesus to Mother Mariana and the messages associated with them are a matter of private revelation. And so, therefore, they are, by definition, not de fide. In other words, they're not a matter of faith necessary for salvation. Uh, according to Catholic teaching, the faithful are free to accept or reject private revelations even before the church has spoken, uh, so long as nothing in the, in the messages or other phenomena is contrary to faith and morals. Again, according to Monsignor Almeida, the church, he says, is quite cautious in accepting apparitions, and they are only approved after careful investigation has proved their authenticity. In this way, the faithful are protected from being victimized by impostors and deceits. Once the church has given her approval, we can be sure the apparition has been accepted as true and its revelations may be used for the edification of all believers. In fact, once this process has been completed, not to accept them would be unreasonable and irreverent. Now, obviously, you don't have to be devoted to them all, but you do have to respect them and, and the people who are devoted to them. So, you know, the apparitions, again, the messages of Our Lady of Good Success enjoy such uh, approval and have for centuries. But there are still those who would say, oh, but what does the Vatican say? Show me where Rome has ever approved these devotions. Okay, again, let me say that nobody's obliged to embrace a private apparition as a matter of saving faith, okay? And that includes the very few that have the approbation of the Holy See, so Lourdes and Fatima, Guadalupe. But even there, the, the involvement of the Holy See of Rome has taken the form of, well, uh, for example, putting a feast day on the uh, universal liturgical calendar, right? Things that are dependent on the Holy See. But the official approval of a private apparition belongs to what the church calls the bishop or bishops of competence, right? The point is the local bishop, the local ordinary, is the competent authority in declaring whether an apparition is supernatural in origin or worthy of belief or can be a subject of private devotion. Now, of course, there are exceptions, like you, uh, the obvious um, case of an extraordinary situation would be like Mechigoria, for example. Uh, the local bishop there declared that nothing supernatural was occurring, but people continued to flock to Mechigoria and, and to hearken to the seers. And frankly, there's been a lot of confusion, but there's also been uh, a lot of good fruit, including vocations to the religious life and to the priesthood, uh, you know, and, and so that case was referred to Rome, where it remains an open question. And I, I suspect that, uh, you know, I doubt that a question is going to be resolved at least until the, uh, the daily messages to the alleged seers um, definitively conclude, right? I mean, how can you judge the orthodox, orthodoxy of something that, that's ongoing, still in progress? 
But while many apparitions in the history of the church have been at first condemned and then were later approved, I, I do not know of any approved apparition that was later condemned. Right, something to keep in mind. In any case, the bishop or bishops of competence are the uh, ordinary authority to approve apparitions. So, for example, I mean, nobody doubts the approval of Our Lady of Good Help, right? The National Shrine is located in Champion, Wisconsin. The apparition was formally approved on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception in 2010 by Bishop David L. Ricken, and thus became the first Marian apparition site approved by the Catholic Church in the United States. And note that we say that it's approved by the Church, that the Church approves this apparition, when it was, in fact, through the ministry of Bishop Ricken, specifically, who was the Bishop of Competence. Now, why do I bring all this up? Well, I was recently made aware of some new developments in the case of devotion to Our Lady of America. Now, I had not paid much attention to this devotion. For one thing, you know, I heard uh, conflicting things about it. There seemed to be controversy, you know, and I didn't feel any need to get caught up in the drama of some unapproved apparition, as many people assured me it was. Um, However, in May of this year, right in the midst of the the COVID lockdown, the bishops of competence in, in this case issued a singular decree and an official statement regarding the apparition and devotion to Our Lady of America. And that's what I want to share with you um, on this program, because uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think we can use a little good news uh, right now, and I think a, a little ray of hope in the midst of all the, that's occurring in both the church and the world would be welcome <laughs> to any number of people. And so uh, I'm going to talk about the history of this particular apparition. I'm going to talk about uh, devotion to Our Lady of America. I'm going to talk about what the bishops had to say uh, in their official decree, in their official statement, because this is, this is actually big news, especially for, for those of us in this country. I mean, I know that I have some international listeners, but for people in the United States, this is, this is kind of a big deal. Um, and also, I'm going to be able to give you uh, some reaction from uh, various quarters about their statement, what the Catholic media is saying about it, uh, what um, some prominent, a, a particular prominent uh, uh, churchman has to say about it. And uh, I'm going to give you details also on a rather miraculous, or not miraculous, remarkable, I should say, Rosary Congress that's being organized for this coming January, the 1st through the 7th of January 2012, in which you may personally want to participate. So all of that and more uh, during today's program here on No Nonsense Catholic. Speaking of January, I want to uh, take a moment to remind you that we are, uh, this January, will mark our annual Spiritual Warfare Conference. We've been doing this for a number of years. It has proven to be our most popular conference of the year. Unfortunately, this year, we're not going to be able to do it live. It's going to be virtual, but uh, it'll be free on YouTube. But if you pre-register and pay the fee for that, you will get um, access to the recordings, unlimited access, so you can watch them at your convenience. And also, it's your only way to get the official Spiritual Warfare 2021 t-shirt. So uh, I suggest you go to virginmostpowerful.org, vmpr.org, it'll pop up. And we'll be right back with more No Nonsense Catholic right after this. So stay with us.
Okay, welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, talking today about devotion to Our Lady of America. Now, first things first, when I reference Our Lady of America, please understand that I'm talking about Our Lady, the Immaculate Virgin, Patroness of America. Uh, Mary's patronage of the United States goes back to the founding of the first diocese in the U.S. In 1791, Bishop John Carroll was named the first U.S. bishop. In May of the next year, 1792, he addressed his diocese, which included what was the entire United States at that time, and uh, admonished U.S. Catholics to exercise the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and joined to that, quote, a fervent and well-regulated devotion to the Holy Mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said to place great confidence in her for, quote, having chosen her the special patroness of this diocese, you are placed under her powerful protection, and it becomes your duty to be careful to deserve its continuance by a zealous imitation of her virtues and a reliance on her motherly superintendence, unquote. Then in 1846, the Sixth Provincial Council of the Church in America resolved as its very first decree to choose the Immaculate Conception as the patroness of the United States and to make December 8th, that feast day, our patronal feast. In their pastoral letter, the bishops placed themselves and all the faithful of the United States under the special patronage of the Holy Mother of God, quote, whose Immaculate Conception is venerated by the piety of the faithful throughout the Catholic Church. By the aid of her prayers, we entertain the confident hope that we will be strengthened to perform the arduous duties of our ministry and that you will be enabled to practice the sublime virtues of which her life presents the most perfect example, unquote. So devotion to Mary under the title Our Lady of America is a, it's a reiteration, it's a, it's a call and, a, and an example of what the U.S. bishops have already asked of the faithful from the very beginning of our country's history. And, and further, this devotion gives instructions on how to live that Episcopal admonition to, quote, imitate her virtues and to follow the example of the Holy Family. So you'll note that also 1846, just as an aside, that's eight years before Blessed Pius IX uh, proclaimed the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Right? So it's nice to remember uh, that that's been a doctrine of the Church uh, all along and not something that got invented in the 19th century. Then in 1904, which was the 50th anniversary of the promulgation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, uh, there was talk about building a national shrine to the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital. Ten years later, Pope St. Pius X gave his blessing to James Cardinal Gibbons to go forward with the construction. Now, unfortunately, World War I intervened, but in 1920, uh, Cardinal Gibbons laid the cornerstone complete with the solemn ceremonies with the bishops in attendance and uh, diplomatic representatives of several countries. I think 24 other countries were all there. And Cardinal Cushing, who was auxiliary bishop at the time, said that the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception would, quote, serve as an outward expression of our love and a place of pilgrimage where honor should be paid to the Mother of God. Now that statement is completely aligned uh, with the desire of Our Lady. And the shrine was nearly finished 36, later, uh, 36 years later when, in 1956, the Blessed Virgin appeared to Sister Mary Ephraim holding a small replica of the finished shrine in her hands. And she said, This is my shrine, my daughter. I am very pleased with it. Tell my children I thank them and let them finish it quickly 
and make it a place of pilgrimage. Now, one might rightly ask why Our Lady would come with yet another title when we as a nation have already chosen her uh, to be our patroness as the Immaculate Conception. Well, Sister Mary Ephraim explained. She said, Our Blessed Mother called herself Our Lady of America in response to the love and desire that reached out for this special title in the hearts of her children in America, so those who are devoted to her. So just as the U.S. bishops asked for the zealous imitation of her virtues in that very first consecration to the Immaculate Virgin, and in unity with the bishops, Our Lady of America asks us to imitate her virtues, especially her purity. And who can deny that that is a neglected virtue in our society? I mean, surely Catholics could be better example of Our Lady's virtues than we are currently. And devotion to Our Lady of America includes a call to imitate all of her virtues, as well as those of St. Joseph and the Holy Child. In other words, she calls us to imitate the Holy Family. Now, the final apparition to Sister Mary Ephraim Neusel was on December 20th, 1959, which coincidentally is the day that I was born. And I wonder who in 1959 could have predicted the depths of depravity into which our culture has fallen in the intervening 61 years. Well, Our Lady, that's who, as far back as 1959, actually as far back as 1599, And she calls upon us to imitate her purity and the example of the Holy Family of Nazareth as the cure. And the message of Our Lady of America doesn't pretend to offer some new theological understanding uh, of Our Lady. On the contrary, it's intended as a gift. It's a gift from heaven to acknowledge our love for her. And she's not calling for some new consecration, but acknowledging the consecration that's already been made. The, the, the consecration that, that our bishops made to her as the Immaculate Conception. So the messages of Our Lady of America do not conflict with our country's consecration to her as Immaculate Conception, but they're an urgent call that we live that consecration through the imitation of the Holy Family and thereby receive the graces obtained through Mary's intercession. Now, I have found Our Lady of America's uh, call to be entirely consistent with uh, her messages to Mother Mariana when she appeared as Our Lady of Good Success and, you know, predicted our current situation 400 years ago. In fact, she told Mother Mariana in the 1600s that devotion to her in our days would be a great consolation to the faithful because she said, I am Queen of Heaven under many invocations. And so along these lines, there's the well-known Mariologist, Dr. Mark Miravalle, Sure, you've heard of him. And he said, Our Lady of America, the Immaculate Virgin, offers to our country in title and in grace a renewal of our national devotion to the Immaculate Virgin, but with a renewed dynamic of purity so as to better live the gospel call to Christian purity and holiness within the heightened challenges of our present day. Just as we would not want to negate the great historic graces received through Our Lady's 1858 apparitions at Lourdes with the objection, why do we need Our Lady of Lourdes when we already have Our Lady of Guadalupe? So too, we would want to have our hearts open to any new and powerful grace offered to us by God's generosity in the form of new Marian apparitions, which in turn bring with them new and dynamic graces for our nation now and ultimately for the entire world. 
And that's Dr. Miravalli. And he makes an important point. Uh, not only that, you know, you, you wouldn't say, oh, you know, why do we need Our Lady of Fatima when we already have Our Lady of Lourdes? Why do we have Our Lady of Lourdes when we already have Our Lady of Guadalupe, etc.? And And there's also a, a local character to all of these um, apparitions. For Mexico, with Our Lady of Guadalupe, and for France, with Our Lady of Lourdes, and for Portugal, with Our Lady of Fatima, and for Ecuador, for Our Lady of Good Success, and for the United States, for Our Lady of America. And, and I got a lot of this information um, uh, from the Our Lady of America website, ourladyofamerica.org. And on the website, it says, quote, the program which Our Lady of America brings to us promises the graces to reject the temptations of our time and give us emphasis on certain church teachings which are an antidote for the pervasive sins of today. Given today's almost unbridled sexual immorality, one can conclude therein is the focus of her message on purity. But what Our Lady brings is so much more than that. While sexual purity is certainly among that which she asks, it is total purity of heart and mind to which she calls us. She calls us to that purity of thought, action, and sacramental life that results in the ultimate purity, which is sanctifying grace. As our Lord said, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Now, from the appearance of, of Our Lady of Lourdes in 1858 came a clearer understanding of her, uh, you know, her immaculate nature. But whereas that devotional program at Lourdes um, in France foc- focuses on pilgrimage and, and physical healings at the location of the apparition, the devotional program outlined by Our Lady of America focuses more on spiritual healing and openness of heart to the indwelling of God through the intercessory graces of that same Immaculate Virgin. So where at Lourdes she inspired a, a great pilgrimage shrine, this devotion, she says, um, she says, I desire to make the whole of America my shrine by making every heart accessible to the love of my son. So we're talking about a wave of evangelization here. And she, she first appeared to Sister Mary Ephraim. Uh, when she did, she, appeared as, uh, she had appeared to St. Bernadette. But the next day, when she appeared again, proclaiming her title, Our Lady of America, she was crowned and dressed in white, and, and her sorrowful and immaculate heart, through which all graces flow, was exposed and inflamed and encircled with roses. And with her right hand, she extended a lily, symbolizing her purity as a gift that she desires to share with us. And so far, all of this is making perfect sense to me. That Our Lady would choose to acknowledge our consecration to her and to offer us an antidote to the awful spiritual uh, and moral state into which our society is descended. And, and that she should direct this message precisely to, to her devotees, to her children, to us. So before we examine uh, the statement from the bishops that came out this year, uh, the bishops of competence in this case, and the reaction to it, I think it'd be well to talk a little bit about the visionary herself and the trials that have confronted this devotion. Uh, So Our Lady appeared in private revelations that included apparitions of um, not not only Our Lady, but Our Lord and St. Joseph and the Archangels Gabriel and Michael and, and Mary, of course, under the title Our Lady of America, the Immaculate Virgin. And those apparitions took place in the chapel of the Precious Blood Sisters Convent in Nipe Springs Sanitarium near Rome City, Indiana. Nipe, K-N-E-I-P-P. It looks like Nipe Springs. 
And the visionary was Sister Mildred Mary Ephraim Newzel of the Precious Blood Sisters. And she said that she was asked by the Blessed Virgin to draw a picture, according to the vision of Our Lady of America, for the construction of a statue. And so many times Our Lady has asked for, for an image of uh, her in this you know, ti- new title. And she said, if this is done, the United States of America would turn back to morality and the shrine would become a great place of pilgrimage. Um, she, she asked that the statue, once it was made, be carried into the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in solemn procession by the bishops and then remained there. Uh, like she wanted to be honored in the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception as Our Lady of America, the Immaculate Virgin. And like I say, she says, if you do this and, and you know, we're going to have a, a return to morality and, and the shrine will become a pilgrimage site. All of this, of course, according to Sister Mary Ephraim. Now, regarding what the church had to say about that and the trials they went through before coming to their decision, we're going to talk about all of that and more when we come back with lots more on Our Lady of America and the upcoming Rosary Congress right here on No Nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I'm Matthew Arnold. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm Matthew Weinel from Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're talking about devotion to Our Lady of America and the visionary, Mildred Sister Mary Ephraim Newzel, who began to have mystical and uh, spiritual experiences all the way back in 1938. But she says she wasn't disturbed by them uh, as a young religious because she assumed all religious had those same kind of experiences. But it was on the eve of the Feast of the North American Martyrs, September 25, 1956, that Our Lady appeared to her. And those visits, or as those visits, took on the nature of a specific program of devotion, which then Mary asked her to promulgate, propagate, she rightly turned to her spiritual director, Monsignor Paul F. Leibold, for counsel. Now, Monsignor Leibold went on to be Archbishop of Cincinnati, but he remained her spiritual director until his death in 1972, and the canonical status of the devotion began with him. He was the first bishop of competence to recognize the private devotion to Our Lady of America, the Immaculate Virgin, and that was back in the 60s. And he had a medal struck. He gave his imprimatur to the prayers that uh, you know Sister showed him, and he facilitated the distribution of Sister Mary Ephraim's diary of the messages that were given her by Our, uh, our Lady, uh, and then the messages that she had received from 56 to 59. And then um, he commissioned the first image of Our Lady of America, which was carved on a plaque for the sisters to carry in procession, and also the first statue. And so the, all of these actions established the first canonical recognition of the devotion because they were undertaken by the Bishop of Competence. And for uh, many years, a number of other bishops recognized the devotion by taking steps in their own dioceses uh, to allow for its practice. So, for instance, there's a very beautiful statue of Our Lady of America in the Cathedral of St. Louis King in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, uh, Cardinal Burke wrote a letter to all of the uh, members of the USCCB regarding Our Lady of America, just for example. Now, all of that said, the most uh, most authentic devotions go through a period of, of trial or testing. And this one's no exception. You know, I, many apparitions even begin with a condemnation. 
And it's only when the truth and the fruits of the devotion are fully revealed that they gain their official recognition. You know, think about the Divine Mercy, for example, uh, Sister Faustina. That was actually condemned by the Church in 1959. But now it was rehabilitated by John Paul II as a source of hope and, and consolation and, and conversion all over the world. And that's only one example of, of many. You know, I mentioned at the top of the show that I kind of vaguely recalled some controversies surrounding this devotion. And, and Our Lady of America has faced some serious challenges. When I looked into it, first off, I discovered that uh, uh, Archbishop Leibold died suddenly in 1972, and so the devotion lost its most enthusiastic uh, ecclesiastical supporter. And then after the death of Sister Ephraim in 2000, uh, there was a scandal. Uh, a former nun named Patricia Fuller claimed that she personally owned the copyright and trademark for the various Our Lady of America materials, and, and therefore she should have control of the devotion and by her own admonition, expected to profit by it. So for about 15 years, the devotion was kind of outside of the control of the church. And then after that, there followed a 10-year court battle over the ownership of the materials. And according to uh, Al Langenskamp um, of the Langenskamp family apostolate, who was involved and who maintains that website I talked about, uh, OurLadyOfAmerica.org, he said, quote, during the litigation, the attacks on the devotion, the church, and us were demonic. And it was only after that long ordeal in federal court that it was finally determined that the devotional materials are, in fact, in the public domain and therefore available to everyone, to all the faithful. <clears throat> in the meantime, the widespread, I mean, talking about the, the widespread breakdown of the family, the almost complete loss of purity in our society. Uh, they've given a new urgency to that message uh, received by Sister Mary Ephraim. And so over the past, you know, just the past 15 years or so, um, you know, those, uh, with the devotion out from under the cloud of this court battle, uh, the messages have really begun to resonate with the faithful as an important antidote to our current crisis of faith and morals. And there's been a renewal to uh, devotion to Our Lady of America and the writings of Sister Mary Ephraim, and they are bearing good fruit in many souls. So while Our Lady of America was uh, first approved as a private devotion back in the 60s by Archbishop Leibold, the question of the supernatural nature of the alleged apparitions was never fully investigated by a bishop of competence. Now, that is a bishop... Uh, in the diocese where Sister Ephraim received her alleged apparitions. And, and this was further complicated by the fact that Sister Ephraim was frequently moved by the precious blood sisters, and so it became a multi-diocesan question involving several bishops, which, as you can imagine, is just a, a, a real can of worms. But in, in 2017, because of renewed devotion, the six bishops of competence— uh, Kevin Rhodes of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, along with five other bishops, petitioned the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops to launch an investigation. And those other bishops include the Archbishop of Detroit, Alan Vigneron, Archbishop of Cincinnati, Dennis Schur, Bishop of Phoenix, Thomas Olmsted, Lafayette Bishop, Timothy Doherty, and Toledo Bishop, Daniel Thomas. So the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome advised them that one bishop should conduct the investigation, and it was agreed by all parties that that would be Bishop Kevin Rhodes. So in 2018, this is according to the official statement from the Church, 
In 2018, the Blessed Vir- or BVM Foundation Incorporated uh, provided extensive and authentic documentation, including Sister Mildred Mary Ephraim Newzill's correspondence, especially with her spiritual director. And then Bishop Rhodes then formed a commission of theological and canonical experts to assist him in evaluating the evidence. The commission followed the process outlined in the, take a deep breath, norms regarding the manner of proceeding and the discernment of presumed apparitions or revelations, <laughs> which was introduced under St. John Paul under 19, in 1978. And now that process requires that a commission investigate the virtue of the visionary, the messages in light of uh, church doctrine, the fruits, the miracles, any suffering, uh, any extraordinary occurrence, and so on. And it's much like the process of determining sainthood. And like that process, the standards for uh, determining supernaturality, if you will, are among the most stringent in the church. And there's a good reason that they keep the standards so high, because we know that the evil one is the master of deceit. We know that he goes uh, about like a like a roaring lion prowling about looking for, for someone to devour. He's constantly seeking to lead the faithful astray. And the church has a duty to protect us, like uh, Monsignor Almeida said early in the program, from uh, you know imposters and deceits and from false teachings. And I, I can tell you that the church would much rather fail to authenticate a truly supernatural apparition than to proclaim a false apparition to be authentic. You know, this is a real process of discernment, and there are three possible outcomes. The first is what is called constat de supernaturalitate. Okay, I'm going to put a bookmark there. Supernaturalitate is a word with eight syllables. (laughs) And it took me uh, a little minute to be able to train my uh, mouth to, to form that word, supernaturalitate. It has kind of a cadence to it. Supernaturalitate. It's like supernaturalitate, expialidocious. Anyway, so that's, <laughs> that's how you will be able to, to say this fine Latin term. Uh, back to the, uh, to the narrative here. Um, the, the, the possible outcomes of, of a commission of this type are constat de supernaturalitate. That affirms the supernatural origin of the events or the, the facts. The second is constat de non-supernaturalitate, which negates the supernatural character of the facts or events, like denies them. And then finally, you have non-constat de supernaturalitate, which decision means that there's just insufficient uh, facts or an insufficiency of the elements of proof to either affirm or deny the supernatural character of a presumed private revelation. And that's where we are with Our Lady of America. In May of 2020, Bishop Rhodes, representing the bishops of competence, put out a singular decree, it's called, and an official statement regarding the conclusions of their investigation. And here are the key findings. First, regarding Sister Mildred Mary Ephraim Newsel herself, quote, there is much evidence <clears throat> that she was honest, morally upright, psychologically balanced, devoted to religious life, and without guile. Alongside these many signs of goodness, we also found signs of imperfection, but no evidence that she was the perpetrator of a hoax or the victim of delusion. What she communicated about her alleged experiences, she believed to be true, 
and her communication of these alleged experiences are filled with humility and forthrightness. Second, regarding spiritual fruits, there are numerous reports of good fruits, including some conversions, spiritual refreshment and consolations, and even some physical healings at the Rome city site of the alleged apparitions. However, upon study of these reports, we cannot conclude that any of these statements are conclusive enough to warrant certification as miracles. However, it seems likely that in such personal contexts of faith and prayer, God's graces were received. So, yeah, some of this stuff sure looks miraculous, and God's grace is evident, but we can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's the thing. In a court of law, all you have to do is prove something beyond a reasonable doubt. But in the church, miracles have to be proved conclusively, and it's getting more difficult. You know, for example, back when Juan Diego uh, uh, claimed to have seen Our Lady of Guadalupe, his bishop wanted a miracle. He said, have her uh, bring me Castilian roses, right? So Juan Diego shows up the next day with an armful of Castilian roses, which you know, the bishop knows it's a miracle because these roses only grow in Spain. And there was no way to get them overnight to Mexico or to get them at all in the middle of December. You know, but today with modern horticulture and, and international overnight shipping, nobody would even bat an eye. So conclusively proving a miracle is, is much harder in a world where we take so many amazing things for granted. But we'll get back to the decree and the final findings when we return. Lots more on Our Lady of America and the upcoming Rosary Congress when we return with more uh, no-nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. Okay, finishing up here with the singular decree and the official statement uh, of the findings of the commission regarding uh, the devotion, the apparitions of Our Lady of America. First, they said that the visionary, Sister Mary Ephraim, was honest, morally upright, psychologically balanced, devoted to religious life and without guile. They said that there are numerous reports of good fruits, that God's graces were received, but they were not conclusive enough to warrant um, certification as miracles. Third, regarding the alleged revelations themselves, and this is kind of a stumbling block, there is a claim regarding St. Joseph, which has never been expressed as Catholic doctrine, and so, the commission says, must be seen as an error, namely that he, um, St. Joseph, was a, quote, co-redeemer with Christ for the salvation of the world. Now, I'll have a reaction to that um, from Father Regis Scanlon in just a minute. Uh, and then fourthly, it says, looking at the nature and quality of the experiences themselves, we find that they are more to be described as subjective interreligious experiences rather than objective external visions and revelations. Thus, while it be said that there is a possibility of authenticity to Sister Newsel's subjective religious experience, we do not find evidence pointing to experiences as being in the category of objective private revelation. It seems that they were authentically graced moments even perhaps a spiritual, uh, of a spiritual quality beyond what most people experience, but subjective ones. We do not find evidence that these were objective visions and revelations of the type seen at Guadalupe, Fatima, and Lourdes. Okay. But then the, the decree goes on to speak specifically about the images, the statues um, that have been venerated for so many years in various places around the country, the metal, 
struck by the archbishop and his imprimatur for the prayers and so on. And it says, this is their conclusion, given the history of prayers and religious articles being given approval by competent ecclesiastical authority, the use of such prayers and religious articles may continue as a matter of private devotion, but not as a public devotion of the church. Indeed, such private devotion would be consistent with the history of the United States of America being dedicated to Our Lady and choosing Mary Immaculate as the patroness of the United States of America and making December 8th the national uh, patronal feast. On November 20, 1959, at the dedication of the National Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, the bishops of the United States consecrated our nation to Mary Immaculate. Our Lady is the specific patroness of the United States of America under her title as the Immaculate Virgin. As such, the faithful may indeed pray to Our Lady the Immaculate Virgin as patroness of America. At the same time, such private devotion should in no way imply approval or acceptance of the purported revelations, visions, or locutions attributed to Sister Mary Ephraim Nuzel, other than as her own subjective interreligious experiences. And that would include, of course, her shrine request that um, Mary wanted her statue to be brought into the National Shrine of Washington by the bishops in procession. Not that, that, not that Mary didn't ask that, but that they can't conclude uh, that it was more than an interlocution. So what does that mean to you and me? Well, first off, as, as Albert Langenskamp of um, the Our Lady of America website said, with this decree and statement, the church is now officially back in control of this devotion and has entrusted it to the faithful with an encouragement to, uh, as a private devotion. And he further points out this devotion is in a great position to grow and bear fruit. The bishops have cleared the way for God's mercy and love to rise through the instrument of this devotion. They've shown a favorable light on uh, the person of Sister Mary Ephraim and the place at Rome City. And they've also pointed to our nation's history of love and devotion to Our Lady, the Immaculate Virgin, patroness of our land. Now, some of the Catholic media has not been so positive in their coverage, choosing instead to focus on the fact that the commission didn't approve the public devotion or, you know, cult in the proper sense of the word of Our Lady of America. Uh, So they're not going to be naming churches after her, right? And that the alleged theological error regarding St. Joseph as co-redeemer. This is some people have been, you know, kind of pounding on that. But I want to share something with you. It's a reaction from Father Regis Scanlon. Now, you probably know him from EWTN uh, and the Franciscan University of Steubenville. And this is what he wrote, uh, you know, kind of open letter to the bishops on the 21st of May in 2020. He said, the bishops gave only one reason for denying approval. They said that the private revelations were in error, quote unquote, by asserting that St. Joseph was a co-redeemer. I would like to offer some points that suggest another view is possible. First of all, what do we mean by co-redeemer? I maintain that it's someone without whose action redemption would be impossible according to the revealed plan of God in Scripture. For example, without Mary's fiat, salvation could not have taken place. St. Joseph has a similar fiat, a, a sine qua non, a not without which the human race would be saved. And we talked about this at length last week. Father Scanlon goes on to say, actually, the concept of co-redemption involves more than Mary and St. Joseph. It involves every individual that is saved from eternal punishment. Just as Mary and St. Joseph can be seen as co-redemptrix and co-redeemer of the human race, each person is responsible through free will for cooperating with God to achieve their own personal salvation. This means every individual is truly a co-redeemer of himself or herself, 
because God does not redeem anyone without that person's fiat or consent. So I think further contemplation uh, perhaps is in order here. But here's the point. While the church has determined um, it to be a private devotion, that doesn't mean that it can only be practiced in private. You know, the Holy Rosary is a private devotion. You know, just last month at the USCCB Congress, uh, conference rather, in Baltimore, Bishop Strickland and Bishop Coffey and Bishop Brennan took the time to join the faithful who were outside in a freezing cold praying the rosary uh, every day at noon for the conference. Uh, and they do, did so in front of an image of Our Lady of America, and many of the people there are devoted to her. So, you know, and remember that the prayers to Our Lady of America that you can find on the OurLadyOfAmerica.org website and the medal have been specifically approved by the bishops. So with that in mind, um, Karen Japson, who is, um, uh, works with John Leaf's Evangelization out in New Jersey, and I've, I've flown out there and, and given talks at their conferences and, and done some virtual stuff with them this year. And, and Terry did, uh, Terry Barber did too. Anyway, uh, Karen tells me that a Rosary Congress is also called the Siege of Jericho because it consists of seven days of 24-hour Eucharistic adoration, either exposed or in the tabernacle, with a rosary uh, to be said at the top of each hour. Now, obviously, th- th- no one place can do this. It can't be a big public thing because of the COVID restrictions. So the idea is to get folks all around the country to sign up uh, to make an hour of Eucharistic adoration every hour around the clock for those seven days. And each hour is to begin with a rosary prayed aloud, if possible, just for the intentions of Our Lady, the Immaculate Virgin, Patroness of America. And I, you know, I'd mentioned too, this is quite a, a week, liturgically speaking. January 1st is the Solemnity of uh, the Mother of God. It's also First Friday. The second is the Feast of St. Basil. It's also First Saturday. The third is the Most Holy Name of Jesus, which, of course, was initiated originally by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. You knew we were going to make it through a show without mentioning him. <laughs> the fourth is uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, first person born in what would become the United States to be canonized. Uh, the fifth is St. John Newman, who was the first... American bishop to be canonized. And the sixth is the, the Epiphany, of course, and also the Feast of St. Andre Bisset, very devoted to St. Joseph, and also the first Wednesday, which is the monthly devotion to St. Joseph. And then the seventh is St. Raymond of Penafort, um, um, a, a champion of religious tolerance, uh, which became so important here in the United States. In fact, um, you know, um, the first colony to practice religious tolerance was Maryland, which was founded as a haven for Roman Catholics who've been persecuted in England. And it's also, I would mention St. Raymond of Penafort, uh, is the subject of our own Dr. Ed Mazza's fine book, The Scholastics and the Jews, Coexistence, Conversion, and the Medieval Origins of Tolerance. So, boy, a lot of connections in that first week to uh, America and to St. Joseph and the Holy Family, of course, which is all of which is the, uh, the, the uh, focus of this devotion. So I'll put a link up in, uh, to the Sign Up Genius in the, uh, the show notes if you're interested and, and if you have the latitude to actually make an hour before the Blessed Sacrament. You know, things are pretty locked up down where I live. Uh, or you can visit the John Leaps website, which is johnleaps.com, and sign up there. Uh, and if not, I mean, I, I certainly encourage you to pray your rosary for Our Lady's Intentions during those seven days, because I know I will be, and, and my family. Because the point of this, this siege of Jericho, if you will, is that Our Lady and St. Joseph would intercede for us for the graces necessary to bring back faith and purity in our country. And I believe this could be the manifestation in our country of the marvelous restoration promised by Our Lady of Good Success 
and the triumph of the Immaculate Heart promised by Our Lady of Fatima, because all three of them uh, are the same lady. (laughs) And we're talking about a restoration in the church in our country. Okay? See, there is a kind of peace that only comes after victory. And this is a spiritual battle. And frankly, um, it doesn't look to me like the political solutions have been working out so well for us. So like I mentioned last Wednesday, we're going to spend time in the coming weeks looking at St. Joseph, looking at the Holy Family, because, you know, Pope Francis has uh, proclaimed this to be the year of St. Joseph. And because imitation of St. Joseph and Our Lady and imitation of the Holy Family of Nazareth is such an uh, important part of devotion to Mary Immaculate and under her title of uh, Our Lady of America and the Patroness of America. So we'll talk about what that means also in, in the weeks ahead. And remember, too, that this, this devotion is about inner spiritual healing. Uh, and it's been placed in our hands. See, I hope that, that the Church's approval of Our Lady of America, not just as a private devotion, but especially as a private devotion, because it's in our hands, it's going to be a great blessing for those who, who uh, have eyes to see. And that, as we say around here, is no nonsense. Okay, uh, just a couple of minutes left here. I, I hope that you've enjoyed this. I, I really found the whole Our Lady of America um, story to be quite fascinating. And there's a lot I'm, I'm looking forward to reading Sister Mary Ephraim's diary. I've, I've read a number of excerpts and, and uh, uh, so forth. But, you know, again, you go to OurLadyOfAmerica.org and that stuff's downloadable. You can download her her diary, and you can see the prayers and so forth. And I'll talk to the powers that be here at Virgin Most Powerful about maybe putting up the approved, uh, now approved by the by the Church in the United States, uh, prayers to Our Lady of America, so that we can get down to the the really important business of praying for our country. All right, have a blessed final day of Advent, and um, I really want to wish to wish you and yours a very merry Christmas. We're going to be back. Next week with the final broadcast of No Nonsense, uh, no Nonsense Catholic for 2020. And uh, it has been quite a year. We're going to also maybe take a look at uh, some of the things that we've managed to accomplish over here. And of course, further on our examination of St. Joseph and the Holy Family and how we can live their virtues in our own lives. Because uh, the Vatican, uh, Second Vatican Council, the... the uh, great saints of the Middle Ages, Bernard of Clairvaux, Thomas Aquinas, all the way back to our Lord himself in the scripture, have pointed out to us the universal call to holiness. That that is the point, that is the meaning and purpose of life, to know, love, and serve God in this world, and that means our sanctification. So, have a very Merry Christmas. God bless you and your family. I look forward to seeing you next week for our final broadcast of the year, right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.